0: Take something small, do it without permission. Take the blame if it fails, and take the credit if it works. Choose your game. Losing is okay, but not playing the game is not okay.
1: Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at DisruptiveInnovations.net. Good morning, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And today I am lucky enough to be joined by Boris Shulkin. Boris, it's a pleasure to have you.
0: Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation, David.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So to start, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your current role for those who may not know?
0: Certainly. Well, I've been with a company called Magna International for about 20 years now. I've held a number of roles during my time here. My current role is Chief Digital and Information Officer and combine another responsibility related to technology investment as well. I've held multiple roles over the years at Magna. I've gone through engineering, R&D, and operations. This is very exciting role, not only because, I guess, it's a very exciting and large and dynamic team of IT technologists across the globe, about 600 at a corporate and about 1,400 across the entire enterprise. But it's also very exciting because the digitization becoming such an important piece of what we do every day, and I get to help our businesses to use that to enhance the business and improve the bottom line. Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: I imagine holding all those different roles throughout the organization, that experience really helps you drive that at a more intimate level. I mean, that experience must be invaluable as you kind of guide the organization on that journey.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that change is a cultural change and the network and knowing people and knowing how to bring it to the people to the users across the enterprise is a super, super important thing. It of course, it is about technology, but even much more. So it's about culture and organizational change. So you're right. Love that
1: great way to start the episode. Of course, we also like to start the episode with one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today.
0: It's hard to pick one. If I had to pick, I would start with no matter what your role is in your organization or your own business or whatever you do, you know, figure out what your cynic one on. What is your essential condition? What is the thing that's absolutely necessary? We all have to focus. And focus is the most important thing because time is the only thing you cannot buy. It just keeps going, right? The other couple of things, maybe if I may, especially those in a leadership position, I would advise to think, hard about the difference between management and the leadership, you know, management is essentially paying people and telling people what to do. Leadership is something else. Leadership is voluntarily, you don't have to have people reporting to you in order to lead them. Essence of every leadership role is end up with the statement, hey, this might not work, but I want you to follow me and then the last piece i would say breaking the rules it's such an important thing if you want to make an organizational or any kind of change and our life is about change so learning how to break the rules it's really important you know think about examples of what the two steves were trying to do uh what is it 40 years ago in the mid-70s right uh, when they set right. everyone's pocket. At the time, I mean, average compute device was north of hundred thousand dollars and their goal was break the rule, let's make it a thousand. I think that idea of breaking rules goes across every innovator that's trying to make a change. Hundred percent.
1: Love that. So Boris, thank you for that advice. I'm glad you touched on all those pieces. Let's get into a little bit about your backstory. So you're the leading digital executive of a huge international organization. Where did you start out and kind of how did you get to the position that you're in now?
0: It's a good question. Growing up, I never expected to do what I do, as probably most of us. Growing up all the way through almost high school, I was going to be a professional musician. Everything that I've done was leading towards that career. There was due to family conversations, put it this way, <laughs> something got changed. <laughs> and I ended up really following an academic career in computer science, math, and statistics. So that career continued for quite a few years. I ended up essentially going towards staying at a academia and teaching. I had multiple PhD students by that time. And then another accident happened. And I met someone who really convinced me that industry is the way to be. And that's what led me to Magna ultimately. And so for more than a quarter of a century, I've been doing this. Very lucky to end up by pure accident at a company like Magna. Magna is very unique. I don't know how many of your listeners know about it, but it's a $37 billion enterprise. It's the largest automotive supplier in North America with 170,000 employees, 350 manufacturing facilities across the world. It's very unique in terms of automotive supplier, covering deep product knowledge in pretty much every product out there and has a unique capability to engineer and build complete vehicles, which we've been doing for years for OEM customers. And essentially, the way to think about Magna is it's a one-stop shop manufacturer and premier partner to our OEM customers. So very lucky to have my background and be part of this enterprise that is so unique and so diverse and so dynamic at the same time.
1: Yeah, I'll admit I didn't know enough about Magna. I had heard about Magna, but, you know, after meeting you, just understand the magnitude of what you guys are doing is really impressive. So you've been at Magna a lot of your professional career now, but you have that experience that you mentioned in academia and as a musician too, which I think is really interesting because it's like, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 right? So I think developing that rigor For me as an entrepreneur, was so crucial. And I wasn't a musician, but just that stick-to-itiveness, it's part of, I think, succeeding as in really any career and also innovation as well. So it makes sense that you'd be guiding the organization on this journey. Along the course of your career and your personal and professional life, what would you say is just one of the most important learnings? And what was life like before learning it and after
0: learning it? You have all great questions. These are the type of questions that I discuss with my kids all the time. I'm going to try to single out a couple. Most important of them was the fact that soft skills are more important than the technical skills in life. Technical Mm. skills is a must, but this is not sufficient. Speaking mathematical language necessary, but not sufficient condition. Soft skills are crucial when you're young and you're part of academia. You think you have the world under your thumb and uh, there's nothing you cannot do. And then later, you realize that the soft skills, the social aspect of any work is so much more important. So that's what I would single out as maybe one. And then the other one is, which is very typical, I think, for young professionals not to realize early is if you want to make a change don't come and complain that your boss does not let you do this anybody come to your boss and saying hey boss let me do this risky thing you know and if it works i'm going to take a credit if it fails then you have to take the blame i mean how many bosses are going to agree to something like that right? <laughs> right a much more prudent thing to do is take something small do it without permission take the blame if it fails and take the credit if it works choose your game losing is okay but not playing the game is not okay so that's what i would single out those two things love that
1: what about one of the biggest challenges that you had along the way or a time that you feel that something that sticks out in your mind is something that you came away from and just you know were able to implement like a really profound lesson from that anything stick out in your mind in that
0: arena well there's so many there's a yeah. whole list of them You know, being part of automotive industry, you're always part of difficult programs. Automotive programs are very long, you know, from the inception time when you start working on it until it hits the road when the OEM actually starts selling vehicles. That's a long, long road and things happen every time. So there's many of them. I don't want to single out specific one. I would rather maybe talk about the lessons learned, which I'm sure that's what you listeners are interested in. The first one I would say, never quit at the dip if you need to quit quit in the beginning or quit at the end dip is the most difficult time any project in anything that you do and my learnings is that the failures come when people cannot stay during the dip and dip inevitably comes in every one of those projects so don't quit on a dip would be one And then the other one is empathy. Try to imagine what the other side is looking for, what the other side really needs. And that doesn't really necessarily mean that cave in, but understand it and build the solution knowing what the other side is looking for. I often think of J.K. Rowling. She was not 12-year-old when she wrote those great books, but somehow she figured out what the 12-year-old wants. I think that's a very important thing. And then the last one, I've talked about a culture already enough, so I'm not gonna mention that, but the last one I'd say, don't think of problems as problems. People tend to say problem is an issue. Problem, by very definition, is something that's solvable you know if it's not solvable that's not called a problem it's called a reality or fact so that would be the last one as long as you can define something as a problem that means there is a solution very often many of us look at that stuff and say oh you know what there is no solution there's always a solution if it is a problem Texas is very hot during the summer. Well, is that a problem or it's a fact? Well, it is a problem because solution is to move out to a colder climate. We don't want to do (laughs) it. Most people don't care to do it and they don't think, but there is a solution. So be honest with yourself when you face a problem.
1: Okay. So Boris, now I want to get more into your current role and a little bit more about Magna. Before we dive in, i like to ask our guests your favorite book, literary piece, either that you're reading now or all time (laughs) dealer's choice. And I know there's probably multiple ones, but whatever comes to you in this moment.
0: So I like reading. I'm a reader, right? So I'm going to give you two. I love anything that Yuval Harari writes. I don't know if you uh, had a pleasure reading Sapiens, Ahomadeus, or 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. I sometimes pick up and reread his stuff. Current book that I'm about to finish, I'm fascinated. Very relevant to the technologists today is Chip War by Chris Miller. If anybody's into technology and role of China and geopolitical issues related to technology, I think that's a phenomenal book to read. I'd leave you with those two. <laughs> oh,
1: that's a good one. I hadn't heard of that one. It just, came out. My...
0: it just came out just literally very
1: recent. Awesome. Add it to my book list. I should have some audible credits anyway. So very good. So Boris, let's talk a little bit about Magna. So what is your vision for IT and digital as it kind of trickles down from the overarching mission of the organization?
0: Yeah. This is a long question, of course, right? I'm going to try to put it in as few words as possible, David. Well, number one, I think for any leader of such an organization, you have to make sure that IT is properly structured, that, you know, the right skills in the right place to become an enabler for any transformation that you want to do across the enterprise. While you're doing this, it's important that you ensure that anything ongoing delivery of ongoing essential business critical services stay on top of it right that you don't disturb that because we are the bloodline of the organization in many ways the next piece would be make sure that you have a holistic and structured approach to the governance of the portfolio across the entire IT. What are the right priorities? What can we drop? What do we need to keep? What do we bring new? In conclusion, I would say what are the disruptions? What should we bring in as a disruptive thoughts to what my company can leverage in terms of technology, improve the bottom line, improve the customer satisfaction. I have an overarching thing in terms of vision, what I call user experience. What that means is that 170,000 people across the globe using our services need to feel that they are simple, they're easy to use, they have the minimum disruption possible. And then when it comes to specifics, right, of course, the stable infrastructure, the cybersecurity, the user experience I've talked about, the digital initiatives that we're starting to embark on. And then from the technology investment, I've mentioned that I do have that role as well in Magna, is I tend to overuse that phrase. Arthur C. Clarke uh, said it a long time ago, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So how do we bring the magic to our users? What we're doing right now is magic, Zoom. Think about it 20 years ago, people would say, oh my God, this is incredible, right? A simple thing to us, we don't even think about it. But to me, that fits that definition. So what is the next one? You know, you can probably guess I'm a Star Trek fan, right? So if you look at all the technologies out there, we kind of exhausted possibilities based on our imagination. I think what's missing in current generation is going to be a little critical is a little bit of a lack of imagination. What's next? When we were kids growing up, we had a lot of what's next and many of those next already here. So what is the next?
1: Yeah, so true. They're striving for that. It was evident. I like to think that I'm more on your side of the table than the latter, because time <laughs> will tell. So what about some of the key initiatives that you guys are focused on right now?
0: Well, the first one, probably the largest one I just talked about, right? The digitization transformation. You know, I think of it not as a single initiative. I think of it as a journey for the company, right? We do have a clear vision right now. We are starting to execute on this in uh, multiple areas of a company. But I also think of it as something that would need a continual tweaking and course correction as we grow across the company, right? And any transformation, especially digital transformation in a large enterprise like Magna is it's an inclusive sport. So, there's a lot of cultural aspects to and organizational change aspects to make this work properly. And the less digital pieces, it's hard, it's difficult, it's worthwhile doing because how important it is, but it doesn't mean that we cannot have some fun along the way as we're doing this, right? That's the message I'm trying to send to the team. The other big piece kind of connected to this because as digitization grows across the enterprise and enters the manufacturing facilities, uh, not just the enterprise related stuff, right? The cybersecurity becomes more important. So cyber threats are escalating. The frequency is increasing, severity and complexity increasing. You probably heard of, you know, in the middle of the summer, several of the automotive suppliers related to uh, Toyota were shut down as, as a result of the some political upheaval going on in Europe. And it was a cyber attack. So this is, for us, it's a daily, weekly event. Very strong team. We're extending the cyber protection to all aspects of our enterprise, the- plant floor and beyond. So that's super important. Watching the existing technology across the enterprise, you know, patching, identity, access management, data loss protection, all of that is so critical. And then I've talked already conventional IT, you know, user experience, the simplicity, reliability, self-sufficiency. We have several really large initiatives in the ERP area. Internally we call it Grand Slam. It's a multi-year project to unify the systems across 200 plants across the globe. We just finished if something very similar related to HR, where we commonized the systems across the entire company. It was a multi-year undertaking as well. So that's how I would describe it. At the end of the day it comes under a very simple guideline of making technology and data accessible to our people seamlessly, easily, their fingertips whenever they need it.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate that you brought up the user experience because And you brought up Steve and Steve earlier, working backwards from that experience is really what it's all about, right? And I found in my role that perception is everything. So really spending the time to put my arm around the folks that are going to need to eat the dog food is so crucial, because if they don't, appreciate it and they don't get it, their perception and use of the project, I could implement the solution in perfection, right, without error. But if they're not using it and they're not happy with it, it's a failure, right? It's as if it so, doesn't
0: exist. I cannot agree more. That's, I mean, you hit it on a nail. Absolutely.
1: What about the biggest challenges Magna's facing right now as an organization?
0: Well. If you allow me, I'm not going to comment on the entire organization. I'm just going to comment on my role in the area where I'm in. You know, I give you an idea of the vision and things that are we taking on as a large undertaking. So related to that, right, I would say the key impediments is probably obvious. It's the easy access to relevant data for things that you need. It's out there. How do you connect? How do you create the plumbing. I call it plumbing plus in order to enable all the data flow properly to the right people, having high reliability of it. And accessibility is the key because like you said, just a few seconds earlier, just because it's there and it works in the minds of technology people and the people, the users, the, I call them decision makers. So when people say, who's a decision maker? Well, there's 170,000 decision makers in my company every single person at their desk or their press line or whatever they do to making decisions every minute of our life when we're there. So that decision maker needs to have that easily accessible, reliable, trusted data. So that'd be one. Culture we've talked about, right? It's not an impediment, but it's something to really understand well and recreate the culture of data-driven versus god-driven decision-making process right another one probably worth mentioning is in my daily life i feel this i'm sure you do it as well there's a lot of technology white noise out there you know Next new article in Wall Street Journal comes up and all of a sudden the entire community says, what about this? Well, so the dealing with the white noise, when people get excited without really the underlying reason, and then six months later, that curve comes down and the darling of yesterday becomes a fall of today. Time, I would say, is a difficult thing because you cannot buy that. So you use it wisely. On my tech investment role, I would say dealing with the biggest misconception about technology. You know, and in my mind, the biggest misconception about any technology is people sometimes assume that there is a path. Well, there's no path. If path is known, this is no longer a problem. What I mean by this, here's an interesting example. I don't know if you ever played Bordel. It's a game, right? Yeah. <laughs> New York Times bought it for gazillion dollars, if you can remember a while ago. It's a fun game until you know that the best starting words to win is notes and accurate. And the reason is simple. It has to do with frequency of the letters, right? So once the path is known, there's no more what are you trying to figure it out. So the misconception in my mind about tech is people think the path is there, but it's not. It's a trial and error.
1: Yeah, 100% two things i would say one you know in regard to like the shiny new object thing we saw a lot of that during COVID too particularly like we work a lot in healthcare financial services kind of slapping on these like digital front doors or these ai bots or these cpass type solution whatever it might be that ultimately we're finding need to be kind of rolled back now because the vision of a holistic experience for the business partners or the users and the customers wasn't really envisioned. It was kind of like stop the bleeding. This is going to create ROI, whatever. And maybe it did too in a micro sense, but from a macro view, it's really not something that serves the organization long term. Moreover, we also find that a lot of the issues we're solving for organizations are actually focused on people, process, methodology, huge opportunities for workflow improvement. And, you know, the basic blocking and tackling really has to happen prior to the technology coming in to complement those initial solves, which is kind of just complementary to what you were saying before. So we've talked about a number of the best practices that you know, uh, you'd know you recommend, Boris, just in your experience. Any other best practices that you and your team follow that you'd want to share about?
0: Uh, you're exhausting my top list, but let me give you one more. I often make the team think in reverse. What I mean by this is a typical project thought process is is what should we do to make this a success, right? This is how we usually think of a project and we do the planning. And once this is done, I often challenge the team with imagining the opposite. Imagine that this project fails. What went wrong? Let's make a list. Let's figure out what went wrong. And then using that list, you can do quite a bit of changes and improvement to make it more solid and stable. I'd pick that as uh, maybe another best practice that I like to use often. Yeah. That's a good one.
1: I'm going to take that away from this conversation myself. We got a few more questions for you. First would be, are there any particularly innovative technologies that you guys are rolling out at Magna or that are on the roadmap for the you know, next few years that you're really excited about that you might want to share?
0: Well, there's hundreds, if not thousands of implementations going on at a company of our size at the same time. So I don't think it'd be fair to single out one or two or three, right? Maybe the right way to give you a color on this is to uh, talk about what's important and what are we trying to address, right? One of my favorite quotes, and you can probably guess where it comes from, I'm not gonna quote the name here, but if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And I'm trying to guide the entire company, technology people by this. This is so critical. And look, the key in what we're trying to do is not about technology for the technology's sake, right? To me, this is all about operational excellence at the end of the day. It's about margin expansion. So the factor of the future digitization, all of these efforts, all of these initiatives are bundled up into the basically a margin expansion saying that, do i want to take on this piece of technology or not it's not about is this an innovative enough is this cool enough this is all about what does it do to the bottom line of what i'm doing every day within the company right so digitization is not a purpose it's an enabler right and i view my entire organization as an enabler to the rest of the business to help them do what they need to do but the litmus test for you know picking a technology or doing something i mean What comes in my mind is the obvious stuff. I mean, anybody in my role is battling today, cloud versus not cloud on-prem, in the middle, what do we do, right? For me, it's very simple at the end of the day. What does that do to my bottom line? And it's sometimes not such a simple thing to understand because there's a straight calculation when you're looking at the dollars itself, but there's also indirect. What does it do to daily activity of the people within the organization? But if you think those things through, they always, you're always able to come down to what it means to the bottom line and then second piece is always so how do you check it i mean assumption is not good enough in reality does that really work out or not right and so that's what we drive everything that we do in digitization efforts on things like workday for example or the finance transformation uh, initiatives or the warranty analy- analytics what i find is once the numbers are there once the data is available at your fingertips the next level of very powerful tool is things like anomaly detection. When you're dealing with hundreds and thousands of events on a daily, weekly basis, where do you direct your efforts? How do you focus? Well, this is where the technology can really help to help you focus and put the red flags where red flags doesn't mean it's bad. There may be a good explanation why this is happening, but it really helps to focus the resources and effort on a regular basis. So that's the type of technology I'm very excited about. I don't like to throw big words like AI and things like that. Of course they are, but at the end of the day, it's the data analytics methods. AI is one of the tools. There's many, so I don't view it as a... Again, tech for tech's sake. What's the underlying reason you're doing it? And it's to improve the bottom line of a company. My preaching to my team is always, I ask them a question. So what is the product of a company? We're a public company. And then people go, oh, you know, we make cars, we make transmissions, we make ADAS systems, or make seats, we make closures. No, 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 no. The product of a company, there's only one, it's the profit of a company. So that's what the driving reason for it at the end of the day. All these things that people put on the list are means to get to an end. Yeah,
1: hundred percent. So Boris, as we look to wrap up here, I have a couple more questions for you. First would be, you know, you guys are in the automotive industry, obviously with the advent of EV, I think there's, you know, a lot of potential there, but what do you think will be some of the biggest changes kind of globally as time passes in the automotive industry?
0: Well, let me pick my crystal ball and and, and see what's in there. <laughs> but on a serious note, look, what I would like the your viewers and listeners to take out of this is automotive industry is very cool. It's a high tech industry, super attractive for any tech gig among those. It's in the middle of the largest revolution happening in the last hundred years. In it. It's truly becoming, it is already very complex, very high tech. There is a emergence of non-automotive industries entering the automotive industry in a ways that some of them we can imagine things like what's happening in autonomy and ADAS and connectivity and some of them we can't really imagine right so expectations from consumer changing and this convergence of automotive and non-automotive is going at a very fast pace so one point i would take out of it is it's a cool industry which probably 25 years ago would be still a cool industry, but not to the tech geeks. maybe to the mechanical engineers, right? The other thing that's important for any technologist is be careful when you choose the path, because the problem with in some areas where the competition knocks out players and it becomes a commodity is it becomes a race to the bottom. And I'm always watching what is happening in that area. And Because the problem with racing to the bottom that you may win, (laughs) that's not what you're looking for. (laughs) And then, you know, we've talked about the white noise a little bit, you know, seeing the forest for the trees. It's very important. The hype cycles are coming up and down and they sometimes destroy the value where the value is there. It's natural, you know, investment community focused on shorter terms. I'm a really believer that things that are coming up eventually will come back again, you know, with... uh, I've lived long enough. I didn't mention it in the introduction, but my very, very first job was, believe it or not, many, many years ago, was at a laboratory called AI Lab. So every new thing is a well-forgotten old, you know? Uh, what I'm trying to say in between of that job and the current hype on AI happened what we all call AI winter. So that's, I'm always watching for those things. And look, the, it's exciting industry. I think the future is awesome and every big change is an opportunity for those that understand it.
1: Great soundbite right there, I love that. <laughs> so Boris, as we wrap up, we like to ask our guests, if you could go back five or 10 or even, even 20 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think I would start by saying, look, as you live your life, think that there's a difference between good decision and good outcome. You know, lottery ticket that is winning you $50 million is a bad decision with a good outcome. So focus on good decisions. I would also say, figure out as early as you can in your life, what is your raison d'etre? You know, the reason for being, what is the core of what you are? And then I'd say whatever you do in life, make yourself indispensable. Very cool.
1: Boris, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, David. it was fun. Appreciate it. Yeah hundred percent. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization and
0: workflow improvement.
1: Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.